the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Friend, to love is to give, and to give is to love. Love is not about getting. Love is about giving. Giving to where it hurts. And if you go through life always getting but never giving, you never really live, and you never really love. And so life can become meaningless unless the soul is set free to give. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call at any time, 24-7, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is standing by right now to take your phone call. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is entitled, Him Who Loved Me and Gave. That's Him Who Loved Me and Gave. And if you miss any of this message, you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. Let's get underway with the first portion of today's broadcast, again entitled, Him Who Loved Me and Gave. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko. Let's pray. Dear Father God, it is so human to think we are doing the work of God when we have the attitude of the enemy, and by so doing, to be doing the very work that he wants. So Father, unless a soul has been moved and touched by the love of God to be broken and humbled, none of us can live right and love Father, all the acts of service mean nothing unless they come from hearts that love you, could care less about self-aggrandizement or personal will, but that seeks the will of Christ. Lord, thank you for a church. Thank you for a family in which Christ is here. Bless us with your presence from the Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, maybe you know that we have a dog in our family. His name is Smokey. He is in our family. In fact, I brought him to church a few weeks ago when Elder Finley was here, right, for the children's story. Smokey wouldn't sing here. You go to the piano, he'll sing at the piano. I tried to replicate that here, couldn't do it. I showed you a video of Smokey doing it. Now, my son's dog, Smokey, once fearlessly engaged a huge grizzly bear in Montana to save my son's life because he loved my son and because my son was his master, and he said, I cannot let that grizzly bear gobble up my master. And I tell you, I love Smokey because of that. Any dog that will put his life on the line for my son is a member of the family. Am I correct or not? Now, a few years later, when Smokey suffered a debilitating leg injury, and in fact, a few years later was last year, when we were doing the capital stewardship drive to get that heavy amount of money in so we could meet our obligations, we set our pledge in place, and we honored it, but we had a challenge which threatened our pledge, and we didn't put it before it, but the Lord worked both out. See, Smokey had a debilitating knee injury. That knee injury dislocated part of his 
ligaments, and he was dead in the water unless we could get a surgery. And so you weigh the question, how much is your dog worth? My dog saved my son's life from a grizzly bear. So what do we do? Well, we coughed up $5,000 plus for reconstructive surgery to save Smokey. Some will say, well, should not this money have been given to the poor? It was. Poor Smokey needed it. He was a member of our family. We got engaged in his behalf. And so he risked his life for Donald. We gave up some of our dollars, our savings for Smokey. Never looked back, never regretted it. We love Smokey. We love him more than you would normally love a dog because Smokey loved us to be willing to lay down his life for our son. Now, recently it made national news. Tiffany Merrill lives in Black Mountain, North Carolina, in the middle of Blue Ridge Mountains near Asheville. Tiffany is a mother with children. Like every mother, to be worth your salt, you have to want to protect your children. A child's home should be a secure place, and a mother will protect the home, especially if an intruder comes in and tries to take the life of her children. And Tiffany was no exception. So a few days ago, unannounced, an intruder broke into her home right near Asheville, and she was suddenly taken back at the size of this intruder. This intruder was huge. And so she called and screamed to her children, get to the rooms, lock the doors. But it was too late. That intruder was moving toward her and toward her children. And in a matter of seconds, that intruder was about to kill them because that intruder was not a human being. That intruder was a bear, a giant bear from the Appalachians. So how do you protect your little ones when you don't have a gun big enough to take down a bear and he's moving fast, he's coming through your door, what do you do? Suddenly a hero appeared to save the day. The hero had been there all along, waiting for the moment to show that courage can come in small packages. And their little dog, Pickles, a black little dog, stood up, stood between the bear and them, began to bark and yip and claim the ground for his family. Pickles intimidated that huge bear and put that bear right outside the door. Tiffany shut the door. Pickles was on the outside with a bear hundreds of pounds. Pickles was a few pounds. And there, Pickles fought that bear to the death to save the family. On the outside of the home, little Pickles engaged the bear in a fight that would take Pickles' life. After the loss of her brave friend, Tiffany reflected on the life of Pickles. She said, little Pickles was always with me. And looking out the window, it was now clear that Pickles was gone. I mean, what's love? You know, sometimes we think that animals cannot love us. Animals can love us profoundly. I have learned this. I love animals. When I go into a store and I see an owner with an animal, I stop to pet the head of that dog. And yes, I've been bitten on occasion. It's worth it. Because animals are just protecting those they love. Jesus defined human love in these terms. So what kind of love do we need in the church and in our own lives? Turn with me to John 15, 13. Open your Bibles. Let's look at this. Very clearly stated. He says, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life, what? For his friends. If you're not willing to give your life for a friend, then you really don't ultimately love that friend. I mean, if you know that someone in this world loves you enough to lay down their life for you, you know you're loved. Jesus calls us friends in John 15, 14. And Jesus died for his friends in John 19. You look at the distance that Christ went from Gethsemane to the cross. He embraced every single human being from Adam to the end in him. And he made the journey with all of our good things and most of our junk in his head, all of our junk in his head, all the way to the place where he said, it is finished. And there he exhausted the evil that he might give us the good. 
And so greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus calls us friends. We live in a world today where people are dying for want of love, real love, not the kind of love that fills the silver screen. People are in want of the kind of love that gives and that values the object of the gift. When a person is not loved in a very meaningful way, that person is less than alive in ways that matter most for life. You know, I've had times in my life where I felt very loved, and I had times in my life where I felt like no one loved me. Have you been there with me, the two poles, where you felt the deep flow of love in your life, and other times you just felt like no one gave a lick about you? We've been there. I've learned from those experiences, and I'm still learning. Friend, to love is to give, and to give is to love. Love is not about getting. Love is about giving. Giving to where it hurts. And if you go through life always getting but never giving, you never really live and you never really love. And so life can become meaningless unless the soul is set free to give. And if your life is defined by what you can get from others, I mean, many people, their church life is defined that way, then your life is all about you and nothing more. God has put us together in His grace, in families, in the church, so that life is giving and giving is love. And when the gift of love is really right, we receive love back in ways that cannot be commanded, that cannot be forced. It comes back to us because the stream of love returns to the person who gives it. So love is free, and love is the fire that sets the soul free to live. Every child comes to a time in their life when they need to know that their mother or father loves them. Am I correct? I mean, it's kind of given. If you set boundaries for children, you're young enough, you say no, and even if you don't have all the body language right, the boundaries are the clearest way of telling children you love them. It's been proven by research. But a child grows up and comes to a point in time where it wants to know if somehow they are loved intrinsically for who they are, irrespective of how they behave or not, whether or not they belong to the family. It goes to a child's mind. In fact, for our children, it was during adolescence, the testing time. Does dad and mom, do they really love me? And every child comes that time. Many children in the church and the world live as mere extensions of a parent's self-esteem. What do I mean by that? The immature parent, and there are parents that are immature. We all start out that way. We see the child as an extension of ourselves. And so the immature parent lives out his or her dreams in the achievements of the child who has to fulfill mom or dad's dreams. Like you were bad at sports, so you sign up your child for sports. You wanted to learn a musical instrument. I wanted to learn violin when I was a child. So I buy violins. I give them away. I took my two boys and I stacked them in front of violin lessons and paid all the money, and they hated violin. And it dawned on me a little into this thing that I was really wanting them to live out my dream of playing a violin. They didn't like piano. They didn't like violin, like bows and arrows. And they're good at it. I relinquished trying to mold them into my dream. You know, if the child fails, the immature parent feels the parent fails. If the child succeeds, the parent wins. And thus, who the parent is is defined by what the child becomes. And so the life of the child is defined by the need of the parent. And thus, the insecurity of the parent, heavy on the back of a child who needs to know that they are loved and that they are gathered and they are part of the family, intrinsic, because they are the child. And so we can gum it up with this kind of thing. And as parents, we have to figure that out. How many of you have struggled with that in your raising of children? You know, distinguishing what you need as opposed to what they are and what they deserve. I think we all have. 
Now, I learned love from my mother, not my father. My father was a narcissist. I mean, a clinical narcissist until Jesus Christ broke him and brought him to the foot of the cross. It was all about my dad. My mother was a humble, introverted person, fragile, and she developed a mental issue after having four children in a row without eating correctly, and she never recovered from that for all her years. But her character was not altered by her challenge. And I learned from my mother love that is consistent, and I learned how intensely she could live for others in spite of her own failings. My mother, as I said, had a mental instability that made it hard for her to provide, but didn't stop her from providing. She did it anyway. Her husband, my father, could care less. He left us when we were three or so. He later came back a converted man and broken. He led me to Christ. But in the meantime, my mother showed me Christ. I learned love from my mother. I remember my mother going to the furniture factory and coming home tired in Gatelax, Virginia. I mean, minimum wage subsistence. And she was sweaty and weary. I mean, if you'd seen pictures of my mother when she was young, she was a beautiful thing. She looked like a model. I mean, she was raised by parents who had class. I mean, her mother was a chemical genius. And my mother had a photographic memory. But in the midst of her mental illness, she lost the benefit to use any of this. And so she became overweight to a certain extent. She lost her beauty. Her hands became gnarly. And she would go to work in the morning and come back working vigorously to make sure we had food on the table. And her children didn't sink away. And doing her level best to make sure we didn't go away into misbehavior. Pastor Michael Oxentenka will continue in just a moment. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-supported program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over, biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine, We operate totally by faith. Call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Or you can stop by our website, reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. Let's get back to the broadcast now. Here is Pastor Michael Oxentenka with more of today's Reaching Your Heart. So her job was sanding furniture all day long in a hothouse. In time, I noticed that she taped her hands to protect them. One day when I peeled back the tape, I saw wounded hands, bleeding and disfigured, hiding behind the tape. Wounded hands. I held those hands and I touched them. I knew why she had taped them so I wouldn't see them. And they were gnarly and full of arthritis. And every time she sanded, it hurt her hands. And she was saying by hiding them that she didn't want me to know what she was going through, that it was so painful for her to provide. She did that until she couldn't do it again. I learned that day that beauty is not the absence of flaws. Beauty is the presence of scars that are the product of sacrifice and character and giving. Friend, the Christian church of our day has reinvented the Christian message to conform to the wants of a generation 
of narcissists who want a prosperity gospel that gives them wealth and success without sacrifice, without giving. And thus, that generation must come to the foot of the cross and realize it's not about me and my needs. It's about the needs of others. It's about what Christ did for me. People go to churches so often so the church can provide for them what they cannot get for themselves. They attend the church that has the right kind of music that they like without asking if God likes it. They attend the church that gives them the right benefits for their children, hoping that maybe their children will get ahead, not realizing that there are children who will never get ahead if they don't invest in those children. They attend the church that makes them feel good instead of accountable to God and thus subject to God's will instead of theirs. They attend a church so they can get the love they want, but they fail to give the love that someone else needs. And they fail to realize that the calling is to come and live for others. Friend, God has not established the Christian church to meet the wants of any narcissist. God has established the church by sacrifice so that men and women can come to the cross and give and live the life of Christ so dying and needy people can be saved. That's why the church was established on the face of earth. The church is not about I, me, and my and the plan of God. The church is about Jesus who loved us and gave Himself for us. It's about Jesus. It is the body of Christ who was poured out on the cross of agony to save us, all His people, good and bad, and anyone in between, so they could be saved for all eternity. And that's why the church exists. I'll make a statement here. You can write this down. I would rather pastor a church with ten selfless people in it who love the lost than a thousand or ten thousand who want to make a show. I would rather pastor those who want to live and reach out to save sinners. Friend, God has so designed the real church so that the church is the very place where love is to shine the greatest for the salvation of sinners. Jesus defined it. You know, turn with me to this verse we read all the time. It's John 3.16. We read it and often don't catch its deep significance. For God so loved the world that He what? That He gave. Gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That's a huge verse. That is the greatest verse in the Bible because it defines who God is. It answers the core question, the great controversy, what it's about. And it shows us the way to be saved and live forever in the presence of a giving, selfless God. I mean, this verse contains huge things. When the devil became the twisted one, way back before the creation of the earth, when he involved the creator in a great controversy over the creation of this planet, the devil no doubt pointed out that God, by his very nature, is eternal and infinite. I mean, we don't worship a small God. We worship a God that is so big, you cannot quantify God. And so I ask the question, what's half of infinity? Forever keeps going. You can divide forever, and there's still forever there. And so the question arises, it would have been the one that he would have posited to attack the character of God at the very beginning. God has all the power. God has all the riches. God has all the knowledge. And so you ask the question, when you observe this, when you're trying to undermine God, if God is all-powerful and he's the authority, How can God have the capacity to give of himself at all? How can God be selfless? How can someone who has everything truly give of himself? Have you ever wondered that? When God digs deep into the bucket of who he is, does he give till it hurts? Is he able to take from himself? Or does he just produce more good so that it never hurts? 
You know, if you had a bank account that could replenish $1,000 every second, and you gave $1,000 every second, your bank account would always be full, wouldn't it? And so the devil said, look, because God is a being with infinite power, it is impossible for God to live and be what his moral law is. He cannot be selfless. Therefore, the law of God is a charade and a sham. He imposes on the creation what he himself is incapable of. He cannot be selfless. That is the original accusation in the great controversy. Half of everything is still eternity, so it would seem that the infinite God cannot be a God of love. Friend, God cannot prove the devil's a liar by simply claiming that he is wrong. He can't say, I am a God of love, and that's good enough. It wouldn't work. So John 3.16 is so important. For God so loved the world that he what? That he gave. And how much did he give? We're going to look at that. He gave until he couldn't give anything more. Mother Teresa once framed the giving nature of love in this way. You can give without loving but you can never love without giving. I must be willing to give whatever it takes to do good to others. This requires that I be willing to give until it hurts. Otherwise, there is no true love in me, and I bring injustice, not peace, to those around me. That's what giving in love is really about, giving until it hurts. For God so loved the world that he gave until it hurt for eternity to save us. In 1 Corinthians 1.24, Jesus is the wisdom and power of God. At the cross, God is powerless to save his son and save us. In Philippians 4.19, Jesus represents the treasury of God. In Ephesians 2.7, the riches of God are immeasurable. And so you cannot measure the treasure of God that is found in Jesus. It is a bank repository that is infinite. At the cross, God is poor and bankrupt because he gave us Jesus. Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 5.19 that God was in Christ at the cross. So God didn't just give us Jesus. God gave us God in Jesus. So when God gave us Jesus, God gave the height of his power, the depth of his wisdom, the eternal treasury of his wealth. God poured out the heart of God on the cross of Calvary. And when Jesus died on the cross to your heart, God had nothing more to give You know, you can't see God. God is spirit. But in the darkness of the cross, there is a broken God who gave to save you and me. So don't read John 3.16 with a shallow view of things. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave himself. and He gave all he could in Jesus to save you and me. Friend, if God cannot give because God's resources are infinite because he is God, then God cannot be worshipped and God should not be worshipped. That's what the devil claims in the beginning. At the cross, it was demonstrated that the deity has sufficient capacity to exercise self-renouncing love. We're going to bow down in eternity before God, not because God has all the power. We're going to bow down in eternity because God has all the goodness, all the attributes of character that we see in Jesus that led him to the cross. The year was 1945. And it was the end of the Second World War when a young man sat down to grieve for the greatest need of his life, his own soul. He'd been through the war. He'd survived it. He'd been in Hitler's army as one of the youth had been sucked into the cause, but he didn't want to be there. He'd seen the evil of it mature. And now he was a POW in Scotland waiting the outcome for his life. 
The fatherland's cities had been bombed to brittle pieces by the Allies, and they had captured him, and as I said, they brought him to that prisoner of war camp in Scotland. He had seen the horror of the Jewish death camps at the end of World War II, and now he was locked up in a prison in Scotland for crimes he did not commit because he belonged to Hitler's army as a youth. He simply was a part of the process of evil that had swept him along. He felt the shame of what his country had done. He felt all alone, far away from his fatherland. And he felt the sorrow of what an evil man had done to him and others. And he saw many of his friends die as the war came to an end. So Hitler could have a few more months to take more lives, kill more youth, and wreak more havoc on Europe because of pride and self. And then it shifted from what Hitler did and what the war was about. It shifted to what God is about. He saw himself in isolation, far away from his homeland. He began to ask the question, does God care about me? Does God have any reason to interact with me? And all alone in that Scottish prison, he began to seek God. In his despair, a prison chaplain gave this young German man a Bible. And he was able to read it. Well, that's all the time we have for the first portion of Him Who Loved Me and Gave. Join us again next time for the conclusion. You can find it online at reachingyourheart.com along with many other messages. They're available for you. Are you fascinated by the prophecies of Revelation? Have you wished you could understand prophecy better? Do the symbols of the Bible's last book baffle you? God's Last Altar Call is just the book you need. Mark Finley clearly explains the events soon to unfold in this world. Be sure to call today for your copy, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. The book is yours for a donation of any size. Thank you for your generosity. Your donations keep this ministry on the air. Again, thank you for your support, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. If you would like to listen to this message again, it is available for you at reachingyourheart.com. Once again, reachingyourheart.com. There are many messages available along with this broadcast as well. Thanks for listening today. And as always, we want you to know that we do pray that God is reaching your Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.